1: What is good everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Jim Woodward, Taylor Williams, Sam Humphreys with you as always, but we will be joined after the break by a special guest that is the legend, maybe the greatest college golf coach of all time, Mike McGraw. Coach McGraw, the head coach of the Baylor Bears will be joining us After the break, which means we will go ahead and do our Sony Open preview in the first segment, guys. So we are in Hawaii again on a different island this time. We're in Honolulu, which is the best part Of Hawaii, guys. I am not an outdoorsman. I don't really like to go hiking. I don't, you know, care really about the scenic views that you get in Kauai or, you know, the old people that are in Maui. I want to go to the city. I want to go to Honolulu. It was the most fun that I had in college uh, playing a golf tournament in Honolulu, guys. I I love it out there.
2: Yeah, I got the I got the privilege. I went to Hawaii after my I believe my eighth grade year, so that would have been like two thousand seven range. I played a really cool golf course. It's called Kulalu and I don't believe that course is actually any anymore, which is a damn shame because it was built in the pristine, like wilderness jungle area that is Hawaii. Most people don't even know that that's there because of all the mountains, but it was secluded in there and it was super cool. I think it was on the island of Oahu or whatever it's called. And that was the only island I got to go to for the week, Woody. But uh, I don't know. I feel like if we're debating between which island we want to go to and Hawaii, our jobs aren't doing too bad, right?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, that's a that's a, a conundrum when you got to pick the best island. Uh, but, I, you know, Sam's pretty well spot on in a lot of ways with that Honolulu. There's so much more to do. I I personally love going to Pearl Harbor because I'm a history buff and, and seeing the USS Arizona and, and all that. Stuff like that. Then you can go on the North Shore and watch the big waves. So I, I kind of have to almost agree with Sam. I, although I like those other islands too. P. Dub's right. Well, how do you pick a bad island to go on? I'm sorry, I,
1: I'll take any of them in Hawaii. Yeah, you definitely can't pick a bad one. I played that Iwa Beach course um, in Hawaii for Hawaii's tournament my last year. And the years before that, it was in Kauai. But Kauai is so hard to get to that sometimes even for a college golf tournament, and I think it probably relates to the professional level, It's just kind of a hard week. You think about going to Hawaii and it's a vacation and all that, but that's not how it is for these professional golfers. It's just a longer flight and a, and a kind of, um, you know, annoying trip for, you know, playing in a golf tournament, right? What do you, do you relate to that at all? As far as, you know, going to these exotic places, but you have a job to do. Yeah.
0: I, I always thought it was funny if my kids wanted to go or my wife wanted to go, I didn't really want to. They always want to go to fancy <laughs> places where they vacation. Uh, like, my kids love Disney World, and my, my other parts of my family love Hawaii. But for me, I'm like you, Sam. It was work. It's a job. I mean, people don't believe that. They think, yeah, you play golf every day. That's not a job. Yeah, it is. It, it, it's a lot of work to tie all those factors together. And then uh, playing golf for a living, uh, if you don't do it well, uh, you starve. So... Um, it, it it there's a lot more to it, and you're right. I would have just soon gone down to Dallas
1: and played the Byron Nelson is to go to Hawaii. Now, guys, they are at Wiley in Honolulu this week for the Sony Open. My first question to you both, the big W, does that stand for Woodward or Williams? <laughs>
2: that's a good question. I'm assuming Woody's the only one of us two that's played there, so I'll go ahead and say it stands for Woodward. Yeah, I, I I I used to love to
0: look at it. That's what I always told my caddy. Yeah, I said, "Can you believe those trees? They grew those trees just for me." And uh, no, no, but did it, it, I'll tell you what, that is a cool setting. It, it, and you know what? If you ever get a chance, um, Wai Lai is really a fun golf course to play, gentlemen. It is. It is old school in Hawaii. It is kind of narrow. You have to move the ball both ways off the tee, especially. Um, it's a classic old golf course. I think both of you would truly enjoy it. If you ever get to Honolulu, get a chance to play wildlife.
1: I guess we could call that tree dub, right? <laughs> right, T-Dub? <laughs> oh, I like that. There we go.
2: Tree dub. Uh, yeah, yeah, because one of the things, and I want to ask Woody about this too, is that everyone says that this is like the flattest course that they play on the PGA Tour every single year. Is, is it as flat as they say it is?
0: Yes. Yeah where you went from what almost five hundred foot drop last week from the seventeenth tee to number one at Kapalua. You 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 have about a two foot drop. I don't I didn't even know if you got a two foot drop. It is as flat as you guys can possibly imagine. There is no hills. Are the are the greens flat too Woody? Yeah, pretty much. They're not they're not overly undulated. They're really not. Um they're grainy, uh, like all those greens over in Hawaii, uh but the golf course itself, its defense, is it's, it's pretty doggone narrow, believe it or not. And they've started growing rough really deep when they had this golf tournament. Even when I played there, it was a pretty good challenge. If you don't drive your golf ball well here, guys, you, you will not play good. It's
1: just impossible. You can't spray your driver. Guys, I want to ask you about one guy, the guy that won this golf tournament last year. That's Hideki Matsuyama. Unfortunately for Hideki, that's the last time he got into the winner's circle, and he hasn't started off 2023 great. He has a 21st, a withdrawal, a 31st, a 40th. Um, it seemed like he finished you know, 20th to 30th a lot last year as well, especially after he won in Hawaii. Why do you guys think that is? T-Double, I'll start with you. I mean, obviously the putting is never going to be consistent with Hideki, but it seems like certain areas of his game weren't allowing him to get into contention to win the golf tournament on Sunday last year.
2: Well, you look at really the main thing that set him back last year, guys, was was really his driving. He, he's hitting the ball. Last year he hit the ball shorter than he's hit the ball in his entire career. His accuracy was still about where it needs to be. It was above average. But his driving or his distance has really come back to bite him. You look at his strokes gained driving over the course of 2022, especially starting at the middle of the year. Over half the time, he didn't even uh, gain strokes off the tee, which is something he's exceptionally known for. And then, obviously, his putting has been streaky, as it always has been. And you look back. He hasn't had a top ten going all the way back to the U.S. Open when it was up at the Country Club. I mean, his next finish was a T. 11th at the Tour Championship, but you all, but it's a 30 man field, so a little bit of discrepancy there. And he also had the withdrawal in Houston early, uh, in November, so who knows if he may be dealing with a little bit of uh, in, a little bit of injury going there. But I don't know, Woody. I feel like Hideki's got to show me a little bit more than what he's shown me lately. Even though if he broke down his swing just off the positions of it, it's probably the best in the game.
0: Oh, you know, I think he'll be back. I, guys, I I think – now, I might be way wrong, but I think he had kind of the major hangover thing that people have after winning their first major. It was such a big deal for him, and especially in his country, Japan, when he won that Masters. So now there's so many different people pulling and tugging. And he seems like, I don't know him at all, but he seems like a very aloof, very quiet young man, uh, that doesn't really like limelight. And I think he had it thrust all over him. On top of that, you put all the rumors of last year where he was going to live. He was going to be the biggest star they could possibly get. I don't know, gentlemen. You don't, but we always say when you're talking about golf pros, we never know what's going on in their life. Uh, You know, we see him play golf, and we wonder why he's not hitting it there or hitting it here. We don't know what's going on in his life. I got to tell you, I think there was just a lot of outside agencies getting in his way. I look for him to have a better year this year.
1: I agree with you guys. He's too good not to. Uh, Our favorites for this week at the Sony Open are Sungjae J M, Brian Harmon, Tom Kim, Russell Henley, and Corey Connors, then Matsuyama and Speed. There's six and seven there. Uh, I want to ask T-Dub and Woody both about Tom Kim and... I can't really find a weakness in Tom's game, guys. I I just started watching him last year, and so I don't know if he struggled in a certain area of his game before he really burst onto the scene, guys, but he seems pretty uh, flawless to me in in all areas of the game. Do you see any flaws in his game, T-Dub? The only
2: flaw I see is that he doesn't hit the ball very far, which is... That's been the growing thing that's been going on in golf, as everyone knows. So maybe if the if the game keeps going the way that it is, there may be a chance that he he just might not be able to be able to compete off the tee with some of these guys. But when you look at every other aspect of this game, he hits his iron so straight and, and on such a good ball flight, so pure, and his, his short game is second to none out there. And we got to take into consideration, guys. He's not even twenty one years old yet. He's just he's just twenty. Can't even buy a beer yet, or can't even buy any cigarettes anymore. I mean, are you kidding that's me? Crazy. So I mean, this kid has. He has so much potential, Woody, but uh, I don't know. I, I am a little bit worried about his distance, but I think that will only affect him on some golf courses, not necessarily for his overall career.
0: I think, yes, yes, my opinion, I think the only thing that's going to get in this kid's way is, if I'm not mistaken, is he not from South Korea? And if he is, then we got the military issue. And that has... We don't have to talk about how that has changed guys' careers that are from that country.
1: So... Other than that, I don't see any way this kid gets get anything but better and better and better. Woody, I want to ask you about the guy that you picked, uh, one of your picks last week. That's Sungjae M. He's the favorite odds-on this week at the Sony Open in Hawaii. And, you know, I, I look at Sung Sungjae's finishes, Woody, and... In his last 25 finishes, he has a ton of top 10s. He has, you know, a tie for 8th, a tie for 7th, a a 15th. He has multiple, you know, 15th to 20th finishes. Why hasn't he won in his last 25 starts when you're up there in the top 10 every single week? Well,
0: to me, winning and not winning goes to, it's such a fine line out there. In most cases, I will go to your short game his pitching and his putting getting in the round that when he hadn't getting up and down, when he really needed to on those critical, you know, par saves or uh, making the right cut at the right time. Um, you can't really find it in his stats where he's doing anything really bad necessarily, but he just, I guess it's funny guys, you got to be at the right place at the right time. The stars got in line. You got to get some breaks. He just hadn't done it at the right time. I think he, he, he's ready to bust and win one, but it just hadn't happened.
2: I just I, I think that he he does like what he say does everything so well, but at the same time he, he it seems like he kind of has the, the same syndrome as like a Terrell Hatton has where every week he does like three of the four categories really well, then he'll have one where he doesn't do well. He'll he'll hit the ball and chip really well, but he won't make any putts, or he'll 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 putt really well, but his irons or his chipping won't be there. So it seems like the only thing that is really extremely consistent with him is his off the tee game, just because he is just so accurate and, and never misses fairways. So it's always going to put him in position. to to have a chance to win. And also, too, we saw it with Scotty Scheffler, we saw it with Tony Fiena. It it takes time to get these things to happen, and you would have thought after he won the the Shriners in the fallback in 2021, it kind of would have opened a floodgate. And it just hasn't been the case, but he has had – three uh, three seconds over the course uh, at the end of the 2022 season. So it seems like he's right there knocking on the door and, and maybe he'll be able to prevail sooner rather than later, which I think he will.
1: While you guys were talking there, I counted out his last 25 events. He's had 14 top 15s in his last 25 events. I think it's just a matter of time uh, for Sungjae M. The last guy I want to touch on here before we get to our picks is Russell Henley. He's up here in the top five in the favorites, guys, and I think that's mainly uh, based on his prior course history and not his recent form. I know he did win at the Worldwide Technology Championship, but I think one thing that people get wrong about Russell Henley is the fact that they consider him, oh, he's just one of these great putters. Well, guys, I mean... (laughs) Event, event in and event out. He has, you know, lost strokes on the field putting. I mean, I don't see a tournament where he gained shots on the field putting since the Players Championship or since the Masters last year, guys. T Dub, what? Why is that? That that stigma has never really, or that stigma has never really gone away of him being a great putter, right? It, it seems like that's the weakness of his game.
2: He's one of the bigger phenomena that we've seen in golf history. The first. Six years he was on tour he didn't just gain strokes game putting he gained more than 0.3 strokes game putting which is going to be top 30 on tour if not top 20 and, and sometimes in the top 10 but you look at it at the start of 2019 he started losing strokes game putting but then he started gaining strokes game approach off, off the charts he just completely flipped his game upside down and he's only lost strokes gain off of the tee one year or so but yeah you're exactly right Sam he hasn't putted very well really since going all the way back to the Masters in April as you alluded to. But I think looking at wildlife, out of the – he's played here, I believe, nine or ten times, and only three times out of those times has he lost stroke skin on the green. So maybe there's something about these type of greens that he likes, Woody. But um, I know he's going to be a very popular pick in DraftKings and one and done and uh, they may have him somewhere going forward. But uh, if it, if we don't see him start to make a few putts, I don't think there's a chance in hell that he can win.
0: Horses for courses. Um, what he is, he's really staggy with a putter. Uh, he he can look really not very good, and then other weeks he can just fill the hole up, and that's why his stats are what they are. Overall, it doesn't look very good, but on a given week, look out—he's pretty tough. And I gotta be honest, guys, I might just—you might just hear me call out my, his name when we go to one and done. I I think this golf course, Stu team, he plays it well, and he's a
1: good putter on Bermuda greens. Good stuff there, Woody. Let's get to our one-and-done and and DraftKings picks for the week. Let's start with one-and-done. T-Dub, who do you have at the Sony Open?
2: I'm feeling pretty confident in my one-and-done pick this week. Boys, I'm going with the Canadian Corey Connors. The reason I am doing that is because out of every single person who is playing in this field, he has by far the best strokes gained history here out of everyone. He's played here four times. He finished 39th, 3rd, 12th, and 11th. And the most important factor, guys, is that every time he's played here, he's gained strokes on the green. So he knows he likes this course. If I can get one of the best ball strikers in the world on greens that he likes, Woody, I'm going to take that up every day of the week.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good pick. Uh, you know, I was telling you guys I like Russell Henley. I'm going to go a little bit off the wall here. I'm going to go Tom Hoagie. I think. Um, Sticking he's with recent really form good. there, Woody. He He's played some really good golf though guys uh not just last week he played pretty good of course he had to go watch dcu get slaughtered that had to set him back a little bit but uh i I think he might win this week i really do that's why i'm picking him one and done tom hoagie
1: any guy that shoots over 25 under whatever he shot last week at the tournament of champions is a good pick in my book woody i like that I am really going off the wall here, guys, but I have some reasons behind it. I am going Hayden Buckley with my one-and-done pick this week at the Sony Open. He finished tied for 12th here last year at this golf tournament, and he's had some decent recent form. And four out of his last five events, he's gained shots on the greens putting. I think that Hayden Buckley is a guy to watch out for, especially – Uh, this year not just this week and the reason why his his name came to my mind guys is I had a tournament in Hawaii I brought it up earlier Hayden Buckley actually won that Hawaii tournament one year so I know for a fact and I think he actually set the scoring record for that college tournament so I know for a fact that he loves playing golf in Hawaii that's a sneaky little pick for you guys give me Hayden Buckley in the one and done this week T-Dub.
2: I mean, he's actually been playing pretty well. He's made, I believe, five consecutive cuts on the PJ Tour, going all the way back to the end of 2022. He finished fifth at the Zozo over in Japan. So yeah, I really like that pick. And uh, out of out of everyone I mentioned, Corey Connors has played the played this course the best. But Hayden Buckley's right there in second. He has only played here once, but he gained strokes in every single category, finishing 12th last year. So I do expect him to uh, to definitely make the cut and uh, probably have a pretty decent week going into into this one.
1: And T-Dub, for our DraftKings lineups, why don't you go ahead and start us off? I can't really tell how I did last week. Uh, Update for you guys, I am still banned from DraftKings. I mean, this it, it, one of the biggest mind
2: blowers of all time. You you would expect they would want to take money, right? I mean, unless they just know that you're just going to win and dominate pools and take money from that, that has to be what it is, Sam. Because <laughs> any capitalistic entity would want to take money. So I, I don't know. I feel like something
1: needs to be worked I, also, out on that. But oh. can I can I gripe real quick? I think it's BS that we can do DraftKings lineups for a tournament that's in Hawaii, but I got banned because I logged into DraftKings in Hawaii. When I was on my honeymoon, is that a is that a legitimate oh, it, gripe, T Dub? I feel like it is. I think I think it's a little bit
2: ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, with the way it works, is if you're in a state that doesn't allow the DraftKings, but then you, there's a state across from you that does. You can just walk across state lines, make the bet, and walk across and It's like, what kind of damn sense does that make? It, it's a little—it's it, so ludicrous to me. It's—we uh, uh, need to just go ahead and just let everyone gamble the way they want. And uh, but unfortunately, Sam, it's uh, this is an epidemic that has lasted a lot, hell of a lot longer than I thought it would.
1: Trust me, I've been trying to reach out, but go ahead and give your first pick. Luckily, DraftKings still lets me uh, give a lineup. It just doesn't let me submit my money. I just have my sixty dollars sitting there for forever.
2: If, if there's a, a listener of the show who, who works or knows someone that works for DraftKings, get, get us some inside pull here. We, we've got to get this situation fixed. It's a little unacceptable. It's gotten to the point,
1: point by the way, it's gotten to the point where I have reached out on customer support and they have stopped reaching out to me. And I'm just literally saying to them, hello, is it? I think my last three messages are, hello, is anybody there? And then all caps, can someone please help me? (laughs) Well, it's worse the fact that you actually have money in there. Because if you could
3: just take
2: the money out and and just go to FanDuel or something, it's not going to be the end of the world. Or you could maybe start a new account somehow. I don't know how that works. But yeah, the fact that your money's still in there (laughs) and they won't do anything about
1: it, seems pretty damn criminal to me. Anyways, let's go ahead and promote DraftKings and give our lineups. Uh, yeah, d- yeah, exactly. Yeah, what kind of backwards <laughs> is
2: this? <laughs> well we'll go ahead and do it. Dive in here head first. I'm going 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 down to sixty three hundred, Sam. Pretty good pick here. I'm going with Brian Stewart. Looking at course history, he's played this course, I believe, 10 times. Has made the cut 8 out of 10. And four of those times, he's finished inside of the top 10. So, uh, go ahead and go a little bit bottom of the barrel for a guy that I think can make the cut. Give me a little Brian Stewart, Sam.
1: I like that pick, T-Dub. Give me Lucas Glover at 7,000. He's made four of four cuts so far. This season, and he has some decent recent or decent course history at YLI. I think he has a sixth in there. He has a seventh in there. Uh, so, give me Lucas Glover at seven thousand as my lowest pick on DraftKings this week. T Dub, let's just go back and forth since it's only two of us right now
2: we can do that. I'm going to go up to 7,400. One thing that's known about wildlife is that you don't have to overpower it. You, you can be a pretty short hitter and get a, get around the place. So 7,400, give me Brendan Todd. This is a guy who was playing pretty pretty well before the last term at the RSM, ha- had made, I believe, eight of nine cuts and had gained strokes, gained putting in every single event going back to the Mexico Open. And at this course, Sam, he's made the cut seven out of eight times. So two guys, my cheapest, who have good course history here and have been playing fairly decent, I like that I can build the top of my lineup a little
1: bit heavier. Okay, at 7,600, give me the Kansan, Gary Woodland. Uh, I like Gary Woodland because, you know, he finished top 10 the last time he teed it up at the Cadence Bank Houston Open. Speaking of a couple top 10s in the Sony Open, that's what Gary Woodland has. He, he finished, uh, let's see here, he finished tied for 7th in 2018. He finished tied for 6th in 2017. Uh, so kind of similar to Lucas Glover as far as his finishes at the Sony Open. Uh, so give me Gary Woodland. I think that's a sneaky value pick at 7,600.
2: Anyone who's been a longtime listener of the 73rd hole knows that really from our inauguration, I have been on the C Bezel Christian Bezayden Hoot train, and I am jumping back on it. This man has been playing some pretty good golf over in South Africa, finished fifth, third, and, and 26th in his last three events, and has not missed a cut going all the way back to the Travelers Championship in June. So, just been playing very steady, what we're used to seeing from C. Bezel. And the only time he played here was last year, Sammy. he finished 17th, gained strokes on the greens and gained approach and off the tee as well. So, I, I like my man C. Bezel this week. Don't think he's going to win, but I expect him to have a pretty high finish.
1: My other pick at 7,600, I'm sticking right there. Middle-loaded lineup this week. Give me Hayden Buckley, the guy that I just picked for my one-and-done pick. Uh, you know, last f- four out of five, of his last tournaments, he's gained shots on the field putting and he finished tied for 12th here last year. I've laid out my reasons why I like Hayden Buckley this week and the one and done. Give me Hayden Buckley at 7,600. That's mega value there.
2: My, my first few picks, Sam, I'd gone off a, a lot of course history, a little bit of recent form, but my next pick is going majority off recent form at 8,700. That's KH Lee. He's been playing some, some really solid golf, has three top seven finishes going all the way back to the BMW Championship, and has not missed a cut going back to the Open Championship in July. So very steady, playing pretty strong. He's played here four times. His his best finish is the 19th, but he's missed the cut twice, and his other best finish is 48th. But I do think he is playing by far the best golf that he has in his career. So I expect his course history to improve a little bit from what we've seen.
1: T-Dub, I'm going with course history here with this pick. I am going Matt Kuchar at 7,900. I think the old man is going to make the cut this week. And look, I mean, he's had a tied for seventh here in 2022. He obviously won here back in 2019. Um, But I just like Matt Kuchar in Hawaii. I don't know why I really think of Matt Kuchar when it comes to these Hawaiian tournaments, but I do, and 7,900 sounded pretty enticing to me.
2: It is enticing, yes, and uh, let's not forget, this was the infamous tournament
1: where Kuchar paid his caddy five bucks or whatever it was <laughs> to win the tournament. So, that's right, that's right, so clearly he so he's is got trying to make money in Hawaii.
2: His only mindset in Hawaii is to make money because he doesn't care uh, about his caddy whatsoever, or at least he didn't back then, So, but uh, let's go on up because I was able to go cheap on my lower picks, I can get two of the top five favorites. In the field, so I'm going up to 9,700. This is a guy I believe you had last week, Sam, in the one and done, but has just been playing so steady golf. Give me Brian Harmon. Uh, looking all the way back, he hasn't finished outside uh, of the top 25 going all the way back to the BMW Championship in August. He's just been playing very steady. His course history here is a little hit and miss. He had he had three he had four straight years where he finished inside the top 20. But other than that, he he his best finish is thirty second. So and he's had a couple of miscuts in there. So, but I do expect that to change. Sort of like K. H. Lee, he's playing probably the best golf of his career. So I love me a little Brian Harmon, especially on the course that you don't have to overpower.
1: I got Brian Harmon too at nine thousand seven hundred. Anytime you can get the guy on Data Golf who is the favorite or the second favorite, which Brian Harmon is this week, T-Dub, at ninety seven hundred. I mean, that's an obvious value pick just based on the analytics. Give me Brian Harmon there as my second highest guy on DraftKings.
2: My most expensive on DraftKings is a guy who I said earlier that I don't think will win the tournament, but I do think he is going to have a very solid week and probably have a a top 10 finish. That's Russell Henley. His ball striking is just too good uh, to be able to to get around and not have a, a top 15, top 10 finish. And let's not forget, Sam, last year, he had like a five-shot lead with with seven holes to go over Hideki, and just Hideki made a few birdies, but Russell pretty much crumbled down the stretch. So hopefully he can have a little a little bit of redemption going into that. So like I said, I, I, he's not going to be my winner of the tournament. That's Corey Connors, but I do expect Russell Henley to have a very solid week.
1: I am going with a guy at ten thousand who I think. Played sneaky, really good golf last week at the Century Tournament of Champions. That's Jordan Spieth. Now, I know he finished tied for 13th after kind of a disappointing weekend um, at Kapalua, but he did gain strokes in every single area of his game last week at Kapalua. And I think that Jordan Spieth's game looked Pretty good to me at times, T-Dub. I know that it, it's going to be a little streaky here and there with Jordan Speed, but, I mean, he, he is the biggest name in this Sony Open. I know that Matsuyama is in the tournament. I know that Sung J.M. is in the tournament. Um, but I like Jordan Speeth at 10,000 this week at the Sony Open. I think that he could definitely have a top 10 uh, this week in Hawaii. What do you think on Jordan?
2: I, I definitely do. I think he will have a pretty solid week I, i'm just waiting though sam because you and me both prognosticated he was not going to win a tournament this year so I, i'm just waiting for him to, j- to just get that victory and just make one of our predictions oh just he's going do it within well.
1: the month or something like that that's what always happens to our predictions
2: or, or he'll win like six or seven times or do something just absolutely <laughs> ridiculous
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right um t-dub any final thoughts here on the sony open before we get to coach mcgraw
2: You know, one thing about this course that's pretty interesting is out of every course they play on the PGA Tour, they, they have the easiest par fives out of everyone. It is only a par 70, so there's only two of them. But I do expect those holes to have a pretty good relevance. And we've seen it on, on 18 the last couple of years with Hideki's uh, three-wood in there that, that pretty much sealed it in the playoff. A lot of drama can, can, can come down that last hole. So unless we see some player going and absolutely run away with it, I think it's going to come down to the last hole. And I think there will be a decent amount of names there and what will be a pretty interesting tournament, even though it's not as deep or, or not as top-heavy of a field as we had last week.
1: No doubt about it. Woody, why don't you tell us about our friends at Quill Creek Bank?
0: Quail Creek Bank, we've said it over and over again. They're located right there on 122nd and North May. As 23 starts and your year starts and you're looking for maybe making a bank change, think about Quail Creek. No ATM fees. Great people when you want to do home loans, small business loans. They're always there. When you go to Quail Creek, you're going to talk to somebody. When you call Quail Creek Bank, you're going to talk to somebody. If that's what you're looking for in a bank, which I think most people are, go to Quail Creek Bank. You won't be disappointed, I promise you.
1: Quail Creek Bank, the best bank in Oklahoma City. They know us personally and get to know them personally because they want to help Oklahomans, especially in the Oklahoma City area. Okay, T-Dub, it is time to hit a break, and then after the break, we will be joined by the legend, Mike McGraw, the head coach of the Baylor Bears here on the 73rd Hole podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go follow us on Twitter at the 73rd Hole and at 73rd hole on instagram as well and please hit that subscribe button it just helps us out it's absolutely free it's the purple button on apple and the green button on spotify t let's hit a break here and then we will be back with coach mcgraw here on the 73rd hole podcast the official podcast of golf oklahoma
3: when something the size of a golf ball hits your roof you need to call McRae roofing McRae Roofing is Oklahoma's designer roofing service specialist. For years, Jeff McRae and the experienced team at McRae Roofing and Exteriors have served fellow Oklahomans by helping them with their roofing needs. McRae Roofing uses only top quality materials and professional crews to make sure that each job is done right so it will give you the years of service, security, and protection you need from the unpredictable Oklahoma weather. McRae Roofing offers residential and commercial roofing, ventilation services, and custom copper designs. McCray Roofing is dedicated to exceeding the homeowner's expectations. It's not just a roof, it is your home's crowning glory. Call McCray Roofing today at 405 692 That's 405 692 Make sure to also visit their website at mcrayroofing.com. That's M-C-R-A-Y roofing.com. Don't get caught with a leaking roof. Contact McCray Roofing for your free inspection today.
1: We are back rolling along here on the 73rd Hole Podcast, the official podcast of Golf Oklahoma. Go get all of your local golf news from the great guys, Kim McLeod, Chris Swafford, up in Tulsa doing a great job with GolfOklahoma.org. And on GolfOklahoma.org, you can read about college golf and the Big 12 and That kind of leads me to our legend of a guest, probably, in my opinion, the greatest college golf coach in the history of college golf. That's Coach McGraw, Mike McGraw, the head coach of the Baylor Bears. Coach, you know, we've had a great friendship for a long time, and I don't think we've had you on the podcast since I've been on. I know that T-Dub and Colby had you on uh, when it first began, but Coach, I mean, thank you so much for taking the time today uh, to come on the 73rd hole. Well, thank you
0: very much, Sam. It's great to be here. You know, anything attached to Oklahoma golf is certainly close to my heart, obviously. And I love the job Ken McLeod's doing. I love the job you guys are doing. Uh, I listen to you all the time.
1: Great to hear. So thanks for having me. And Coach has a podcast, before we get started here, he has a podcast of his own, Better Than I Found It podcast. He has, you know, A-list guests that we can't even get, Coach. I mean, you, you're killing it in the podcast game, not only the coaching game. Tell us about the podcast real real quick before we get into the nitty-gritty of stuff.
0: Well, I was never going to be a podcaster, I can tell you that. Uh, Mikel, my assistant coach, now associate head coach, uh, Mikel Andreessen, is the one that encouraged me to do it. And I thought, no, I I don't think I could do that. And he said, well, just invite people you know in the game of golf, and we'll just see if we can make it work. And we are now 127 Mondays in a row. I haven't missed a Monday because I love
2: streaks. Yeah, I, I absolutely love your your show, Coach. You do a fabulous job. You uh, you definitely can make us look, look to shame sometimes. And uh, I, like, like Sam alluded to, we we haven't had you on since uh, since when me and Colby first started. And we talked to you a lot then just about the the state of college golf and junior golf at that point. So just kind of elaborate on how it is now really ever since COVID and just all that stuff. How has the, uh, the college and junior golf changed? Well, I think it's
0: changed a little bit, but not really that much. It's trying to get back to being normal. You know, we don't have any restrictions at tournaments. Um, it's for us in the college world, and we're able to go to any junior tournament and recruit. So I think we're back to a little bit of the normalcy from before, which is great. It was a challenge there for about a year and a half, but it was for everybody. So, Hey, Coach, it's Woody. Um, yeah. Let me ask you something. How long now have you been at Baylor? Because I know time flies. Yeah, it does. I'm in the middle of my ninth year at Baylor. Good gosh. That just I, I still can't fathom you've been gone for that long I just gotta know they 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 don't have you you're not a Texan are you you still got that Okie blood well yes I mean <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure when we retire one day uh it'll probably be in Oklahoma because Pam wants a horse ranch and so uh I think the uh, properties are maybe a little less expensive up in Oklahoma we can get us a 10 acres or so and she can have a couple of horses but yeah i've got a soft spot in my heart for oklahoma you know that okay that was my weak question the first one but i had to ask because if i if you told me you were going to be a texan i i would have been okay with it because if i ever had to move to another state to be texas but
1: uh i'm glad you, you're coming back home thank you buddy <laughs> you bet. coach let's get right into your baylor bears here you know you had an up and down fall season you you bounce back after the tough match, Big Twelve match play tournament with a win um, at your home tournament. Just kind of give me an overall view of what the team looks like. Maybe give us some, you know, background on some of these guys that we might see not only in the Big Twelves at Prairie Dunes and, uh, but maybe the national championship as well.
0: Right. Well, for one, we basically have the same team we had last year. We've added one freshman named Jonas Appel from Southern California. A really good player. Uh, just didn't do much in our lineup this fall, but I think he will. He's definitely a good player. But we have the same team. And last year's team was it was very disappointing. We didn't play well. We obviously had a very down year. But I'm just so excited about the way the guys have returned and played better because I think we're ranked 26th in the country right now. But that's really with Johnny Keeper, our two-time All-American, Kind of not playing very well. Johnny didn't have a very good fall, but the other guys stepped up. So, I mean, if we, I mean, we're definitely better than we were last year and we're trending in a good direction. So, I'm really excited about that. And I think Johnny's going to have a great second semester. So, Johnny'd be the first one you want to talk about. He's been a two time All American. He was on the Arnold Palmer Cup team last year. He's played in three or four U.S. amateurs in a row and just a wonderful kid. Makes almost a 4.0 in accounting. Uh, Johnny's just everything you want in a student athlete. So he'll be back, obviously. Luke Dossie is a senior along with Johnny. They're both going to take advantage of the COVID fifth year next year. But uh, Luke is Cooper Dossi's little brother. And uh, honestly, he didn't have to be Cooper Dossi's little brother. <laughs> he's turning into a nice player himself. And he's been a leader this fall for sure. And he's a great student as well. And then Tyler Eisenhart is also in their class uh, to take advantage of a fifth year next year. So all three of those guys are coming back, but they've all gotten better pretty much. Johnny didn't play very well this fall, but he is better than he was. So I have a really exciting team, honestly, that isn't, is way below the radar.
1: Definitely look out for the Baylor Bears coming up in the spring, Coach. I want to ask a follow-up to that question. I mean, when you have a team like that of you know elder statesmen, a little bit older team that's coming back from last year, does that change the way you coach the guys up? Well, I don't know if it changes the way it just makes it
0: easier, probably, because they are taking leadership roles, all of them. Tyler's never worked harder in his life. Johnny's always been a hardworking guy, and Luke is just an amazing leader. So I think when you have three, those three guys kind of a nucleus, and then they're going to be back next year, it's like, wow, I've got a lot to, you know, be excited about and some good, uh, not anxious moments, but, uh, just, you know, Anticipation, if you will, of what these guys could accomplish. I don't think I'm going to coach them any differently. Um, the only thing I did do, I think, I lo- learned a good lesson at Oklahoma State when I was there, and we even had the best team in the country for several years. But I was, I was sort of in a full-blown panic all the time, and the guys could feel it. And I, I never knew it, but it was where I was. And last year we didn't play well, but I I never panicked, and I, I learned my, I, I guess, a good lesson from Oklahoma State that. You know, yeah, we weren't playing well, but we had some learning and growing to do, and and the guys, I think, have fed off of that. I I I did not make the same mistake twice. In other words, I I definitely feel like uh, I was a better representative of what the coaching world should be this year and last year than I was uh, the the time when I really just kind of imploded at OSU. So, uh, but anyway, uh, I'm not coaching them any differently. I just think that they're maturing really well.
2: That's awesome to hear, Coach. And sort of along those same lines, I feel like it's getting talked a lot more than it does in college golf. It gets talked a lot about in college football and college basketball. is the transfer portal. That's something that's fairly new to the scene, and people who who aren't like us who don't follow college golf very closely don't really understand the impact that it's had. So how has the transfer portal not only affected your how you recruit players and, and, and try to get some talent in your team, but also how has it just affected the overall landscape?
0: The overall landscape is that you've got a ton of golfers in the portal for sure. I know Ryan Hibble at University of Oklahoma has made really good use of a couple of them so far. Uh, Jonathan Brightwell and Chris Goddard and Alan Bratton at Oklahoma State you've got a really, really, you know, Eugenio Chicara. It's like the, the portal's definitely there, but I think those types of, you know, uh, blue blood schools, if you will, in, in college golf are probably going to have the best chance to get those kinds of players, if you will. Um, we we probably aren't going to be able to do that as well because I, I'd have to save back a whole scholarship. It costs a lot of money to go to Baylor, by the way, and um, I, it'd be hard for me to hold back. So I'm going to do my best to push the refresh button, you know, every day on the on the portal just to see who's in there. And then uh, you know I'm lo- looking for a little bit different player. Maybe he's got to be pretty academically inclined and and probably needs to be able to financially do it. So as far as we're concerned, we haven't had a a great impact in the portal. I think it's changed the landscape. And if I could editorialize one second, you mind if I do that? Go ahead, coach. Okay. Absolutely. Well, they need to change one thing in the portal and they have to change it. It's got to change. And that is right now, basically kids can just throw their name in the portal and not even have a conversation with their coach. And I, I think it's criminal that we're trying to teach kids that that conflict resolution is not a part of life. I mean, if you have a conflict with me, come in and tell me why you have a conflict with me. We can work it out. And if we can't work it out, I'll shake your hand and you can go on to the next school. But before you go into the portal, it should be a meeting between me, the, an administrator, and the player and his parents. Uh, and just have a meeting. If we can work it out, if we can't work it out, I'll sign the sheet and let him go. But right now, there's no, uh, there's no mandatory meeting that the player has to have with the coach. I just think they're wrong.
1: That's that's a great point, Coach. And I also want to ask you this: Do you think there should be an open and close date for the portal? Yes, and I think they've changed those rules. I haven't watched those closely enough, but they do have some recruiting windows
0: for the portal. They have changed that for sure. That I'm not sure of all of them right now, but I should get a little more you know versed to that. But uh, yeah, there probably should be. I just think I don't want the wild west. I you know and, and if you think about it, if I go back in time, Woody, you, you never considered transferring. I mean, you you were playing golf at Oklahoma State, and that's where you played, right? Without a doubt. And, that, you know, that was going to lead into my question, too, because Holder had the ability to keep so many guys around. And competition's the greatest thing, Mike. We both know that. Yep. And he can keep so many players around. I don't know how you guys do it. That was going to be my question to you because this coaching game has changed so much. Um, uh, What you said is spot on. Kids should not be able to just wake up one day and go, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to go somewhere else. There should be more to it than that because in this day and age, everybody wants the trophy. Everybody wants to be pampered. Well, that's not life life doesn't work that way it's called ups and downs and we all go through them so to keep five six guys is amazing but to keep seven or eight and to keep those other ones happy without them saying you know what i'm gonna go go i'm going here i'm going there how do you do that coach i, I mean i don't even know how you guys even begin to start a year trying to keep five really good players and three or four others that will push those guys without those guys going, hey, I'm gone. Well, I think it's transparency and disclosure in recruiting. If, if you do the right job there, it's saying, listen, I'm not going to promise you playing time. If you come here, it's going to be very competitive. So you might not travel some. And When you don't travel, instead of getting upset at me, figure out a way to get in the lineup the next time. Uh, but it, that the reality is what you just said. If I have seven guys in the team, okay, I've got two guys unhappy at home. If I've got 12 or 13 guys on the team, now I've got seven or even maybe eight at home unhappy. That's difficult. And so coaches need to do a good job of, one, evaluating to get the right kids or at least as close a good fit as you can possibly have, and then managing their roster size to a. And rosters are pretty big right now with that COVID fifth year going on. The rosters are pretty large. And it's just difficult to do it. So what has happened in college golf? Uh, coaches have started having individual tournaments, so you might be able to send some kids who haven't been traveling to the team tournaments to two or three individual tournaments a semester, uh, which has helped a little bit, but the truth is if you get a big roster, some kids are just never going to play, and that's that's too bad. So uh, It's on the coach and the prospect to do a really good job of vetting out in the recruiting process, and I hope I do a good job with that. I've had transfers of kids that i recruited in my entire career so i don't i don't have transfer out very often
1: pretty rare but i don't want it. but the transfer portal tells me i'll probably have some in the future Really, really wise stuff there. We're talking to Coach McGraw, the head coach of the Baylor Bears. Coach, I want to switch gears with you for a second. I think a lot of people around here would like to get your thoughts on the changes at Kicking Bird. You were there for many years as an assistant pro, and uh, just what are your overall thoughts on the changes they're making at Kicking Bird? Well, I'm glad they did it. The golf
0: course is a little bit tired, obviously, and and you know after so many years, any course would be tired, but I'm I'm Thrilled to go back up there. I'm going to go up this summer once everything's all said and done and kind of just walk around and kind of do a little reminiscing. Uh, But I know they put a lot of money into it, and the photos I've seen have been outstanding, so I'm really excited about that. You know, you can't spend 16 years of your life someplace and not have a pretty good feel. I spent 16 years at Kicking Bird, and I spent 16 years at Oklahoma State, so both of those places hold a really special place in my heart, and uh, but I can't wait to go back and see Kicking Bird all, all dolled up and, and ready to go.
2: Coach, we have, we have a very large uh, demographic in the Oklahoma and Texas area, and a lot of a lot of our listeners are, are the junior golf age. So let, let's just have a hypothetical, and let's say you had a 12-, 13-, 14-year-old kid come up to you and say, Coach, I need help making a, a summer schedule or a spring-fall schedule to, to be able to play competitive golf, and I need to know some things I need to work on to take my talent to the next level. What advice would you give that kid? Okay, well, the first thing I got to tell you is
0: I can't talk to that 12 or 13-year-old kid. And if the rules now state, I can't even take a phone call from him. So that's that. But if I was going to give advice in an open forum like this about what he should do, is that what you're asking?
2: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Not not a very technical question. Yeah, if you were calling like a, a prodigy 12-year-old by any stretch. No, just if, if you if you weren't a college golf coach at this point and and you saw some kid come up and ask for advice.
0: Yeah, I would say for one is is try to figure out how to dominate or at least be very competitive at any level before you move up. You know, I was looking through some old scrapbooks of my brothers, and Woody, you were in there all the time. You were still playing all your junior golf in Oklahoma, basically, and there was nothing wrong with that. Do you remember that? You remember playing golf in junior in Oklahoma? Oh gosh, yeah, Tim, Tim, your brother and I, good lord, we had some dog fights. That's all we had. Our big tournament that we went to when we were juniors was the Texas Oklahoma. That yep. was as big as we got. We didn't have an AJGA. We didn't. We darn sure didn't go all over the country. I got to my here and I had to go all the way to Connecticut, and that scared me to death. But uh, you know, uh, no, we were homeboys. We stayed right around the year. We well, had enough competition. It. We thought we had enough competition here. It was anybody in Oklahoma, let alone around the country. I mean, you guys had a ton of great competition. Well, I still think you can do that. In in junior golf today, you don't have to chase a national schedule at 13. Just be the best player in the state. Put your name on the state junior trophy, that traveling trophy that they send around. Your name should be on that. So 30, 40, 50 years from now, grandkids can look at that and see your name on that trophy. At least you competed for it. Uh, I, I think that's one of the mistakes that parents make is they, they think they need to put their kid in the highest level of competition well, I would much rather be in contention in a local or regional event going into the last round than be to be in fiftieth place going into the last round of a national tournament because I don't feel the same pressure. And you think about champions tour players, why do they get so what's the enthusiasm when they first turn fifty? They haven't been in that position of being near the lead on a Sunday, right? And when they get that feel again, it's great. They remember it. Well, a junior golfer should have that feel, and he should feel the pressure and the excitement of playing in an event where he might win, he might not win. But to just jump up when you're 13 and try to play against the 18 year olds—I mean, Tiger Woods and, and a few of them have done it in the history of golf, but not very often. Win at your local level first, right. and then and then work and put your name on the state high school championship. You know, win win locally. Set you're you're creating a legend in your state or in your community. Uh, really do it. Be a legend in your community and then you can kind of expand from
1: there. But I think everybody wants to jump to another level too quickly. Coach, speaking of Oklahoma junior golf or local junior golf, we are having Maury Rose retire after this year. And I, I saw that you gave a quote for Kim McLeod's story about Maury retiring from the OJGT. Uh, maybe just give while we're on this subject, a couple of words uh, about what Maury meant to the junior golf landscape in Oklahoma. Well, I think everything,
0: <laughs> you know, Woody, when you guys were young, you you finished the state junior or some tournament at the end of the summer in August, and and competitively you didn't play again until high school in the spring. Brett, uh, I just I think when Mori created a fall junior golf program and then it expanded even further than that, but when he created that, now all of a sudden he gave the kids a reason to want to keep their clubs, you know out and ready and going and they they played a lot the golf courses were in great shape the weather was perfect in the fall and you could go and compete on weekends i mean it was just amazing but it goes to show when somebody puts tender loving care into something truly cares and loves what they're doing and they're they're good at what they do i mean maury created an incredible junior golf program and he made it possible for when i was still at oklahoma state but But Oklahoma and Oklahoma State can now recruit in Oklahoma. And for a lot of years, they couldn't. When Jim Woodward and and David Edwards and Danny Edwards and all of those guys were coming up, we had a lot of great junior players in Oklahoma. But then there was a pretty good drought for a lot of years. We didn't have a lot of great junior players in Oklahoma. And uh, I think Maury, I mean, he didn't hit the shots for them and he didn't give them the golf lessons. But. But by golly, he gave him an opportunity, and that's all kids really want or need is an opportunity. He he's amazing. I'm so thrilled for Maury uh, that he's able to retire, but still feels good. And and uh, but I hope he hands it off to somebody that can really take the torch and and run with it. Mike, you're uh, you're not giving yourself enough credit. Maury, yes, Maury was doing what he needed to do, but you're a big reason why I got a junior program going also, so give yourself a little credit there. I will tell you one thing that what you said, I want I sure hope people listen to it, because it is spot on, my friend. Osler, when I was a little kid at Quell Creek, learning how to play golf, the first thing he said to me, he said, hey, you need to learn to be able to beat every kid here in Oklahoma City. Then you need to be able to beat every kid in the state of Oklahoma. And then you need to be able to beat every kid in about a three-state area, mainly Texas and Arkansas. And he said, if you can do all that, he said, then, maybe then, you try to branch out and play against everybody in the country. But until you can win at this level, don't waste your time. And and you were spot on with that, Mike. And, and people all think their child is going to be the next Tiger Woods. Well, I don't want to ruin them. Uh, or ruin their thought, but the odds are against it. When you think about how few guys get to a level, even playing professional golf is tough. My question as quick as I can. Older once told me, he said, Woody, I retreat three kids. One of them's going to fall in love. One of them's going to flunk out. One of them's going to be a player. And to be honest with you, I don't really care which one of you does which. (laughs) (laughs) That's how big a hard ass he was and and you know you, you know I've had a lot of discussions about him his coaching method is not like Mike McGraw though I know that when you recruit what are you thinking what are you trying to do when you're recruiting a player okay what I'm trying to do is not I'm not trying to create a false sense of expectation so I make only three promises and one promise is uh, you will get a degree from Baylor University you're going to Uh, that's why I'm not going to let you not get the degree. Number two, if your dream is to play the PGA tour, I can't make you one. Nobody can, but I'll push you closer to that dream before you leave. And number three, if you love the game, a certain level, after spending four years with me, you'll love the game that much or even more. So those are the only three promises I make. Everything else is just kind of window dressing, except I've added a fourth promise. And that was because of a player I had here named Colin Cobra, just a fantastic, wonderful student athlete. And Colin, And I had a very, very rough conversation one day and it changed my coaching career. And it was when he finally told me the truth. And he told me the truth. He said, Coach, you, you you didn't, I don't love the game anymore. And we talked about that and got through that. But it it gave, it made me have an idea to go with a fourth promise. And that is there will be some uncomfortable days. It's not going to be perfect every day between you and me. I want it to be, but it won't be. So that's another promise I'll make is be expecting a few days that aren't perfect. That I don't make a lot of promises, uh, Woody. I want them to understand I can't fulfill every promise, but those three or four promises, I can. I'll do those, and then we'll just see what it looks like. I am a different personality than Mike Holder was for sure, but I think Mike would even even tell you and admit today he wouldn't coach the same way today as he did 40 years ago or 45 years ago when you were in college. He wouldn't do it. He'd have to change his approach a little bit.
2: Yeah, you know, Coach. Along those same lines, just like Woody had mentioned that that holder told him he'll have three, he'll recruit three players, and really, essentially, only one of them will turn out to be a turf player. O- over your experience, has there been a, a common denominator in the in the players that have been able to to take it to the next level, and the ones that haven't? Is the stuff they do practice wise on the course, off the course? Is there any commonality you've seen between those players?
0: Well, they're all a little bit different because you had Hunter Mahan and Charles Howell who hit about eight billion golf balls, you had Ricky Fowler and Edward Lohr, who hit. No golf balls. So they you know they just played the game. So I, I don't think that's common between them. But one thing I do think is common between them, and I think if, if Woody agrees with this, um, if you cut them open right down the sternum and open them up, the DNA says, I'm a golfer. I, I'm just going to be a golfer. That's what I'm going to do. I have no other – there's nothing else I'm going to do. Woody, didn't you think you were going to be a golfer at 17? Oh, yeah, that's, I knew what I was going to do. I knew for a fact what I was going to do, and I never lost sight of the fact that I wanted to play the PGA Tour. And I did a different route. I went ahead and became a club pro, and and matured a little bit, and learned how to play a little bit better before I ever got on tour. But there was never a, a thought in my mind that I wasn't going to play golf my whole life. Well, that's the commonality I see: is they think that's what they're going to do for a living. They they don't think I'll just try this and then I'll become an accountant. That, that never enters the mind. I'm going to be a golfer. And so that's the one commonality is that I think they don't consider that they're going to be anything else. And it's okay to have the degree or a backup plan, but they don't consider that. They just, I'm a golfer. That's what they do. So, and obviously work ethic is pretty common, but but not everybody works the same. So
1: that's what I would say. What he always knew he was going to be a golfer. Coach, I, I'm we're running out of time here, but I, I do want to get your thoughts real quick, and it's not really a real quick subject, but I do want to get your overall perspective because I really respect your opinion on the game of golf. I, I got to get your perspective on this live slash OWGR stuff where the, the game of professional golf stands because you have players on both uh, both tours, and so I, I'm just curious what you think about it.
0: Well, I don't criticize anybody for going to live. I have not. I have to this day. I have not. I, and I don't know what I would do if I was the player. I have no idea. I, I do know that I think because of this consternation and because of this, you know, it, it's created a lot of unrest, if you will. I think the PJ tour players have benefited for sure. Uh, I think things are going to get better for the PJ tour players, but um so, anyway, I haven't criticized a single player, not Charles Howell, not Matthew Wolfe, none of them for going over there to the, to the live and Taylor Gooch. Uh, but I, it just wouldn't be right for me, I don't think. Uh, but I, I, like, as I said, I don't know if I would, if they threw that much money at me, I have no idea what I would do. I've only made one decision in my life that was strictly money, just like, I'm going to do this because of the money. And it turned out to be one of the worst decisions I've ever made. So I don't know if I would do very well with that.
2: You know, Coach, we, we've had some very fabulous stories told on our podcast throughout throughout the time, and we had a request on social media for a Hunter Mahan story. So I was just curious, what is your favorite or best story regarding Hunter Mahan? Well, I don't
0: know if it's my favorite, but it's one that leaps to mind. We were – Mike Holder had had a surgery, couldn't go to uh, the tournament, and we were going to play at TPC Sawgrass uh, the day before we played a the country club across the street. But when we played TPC Sawgrass, and I w- didn't have my club and I'm just the assistant coach, but my holder's not there, and I'm walking the whole 18 holes. On 16, in the left rough, I found a golf ball. And I thought, hmm, I'll put that in my pocket, and I'll hit it on the next tee. So those guys are putting out on 16. I walk over to 17. I grab somebody's 9-iron, and I just flush this 9-iron about 12 feet behind the hole. And, I mean, that was, like, out of nowhere. And all five guys on the team knocked it on the green, and Hunter was the closest, about eight feet. And so. All, the other four guys missed it. I made my 12-footer. Hunter missed his 8-footer, and I asked Hunter, and I still ask him today, Hunter, what happens when you and I compete? Don't don't I win? So the one <laughs> hole, <that made> Hunter, <laughs> Hunter man, I birdied and he made a par, and I'm I'm one and zero against Hunter. That's the best I got. That's good stuff.
1: What do you got? One more question for Coach? Well, Coach, we we've had. On our show, as
0: you probably listened to it, we've had a number of former Oklahoma State golfers that yes. uh, most of them played with Holder, and not as a player because you never were played under him. But boy, you had to spend a bunch of hours, and and you feel free. I mean, Bob Tway talked about getting taken down in Wichita and wrestling with him. There's been there's been some unbelievable Holder stories. We need one from you because of your Oklahoma State ties. Well, okay, I'll give you one. So, Mike Holder was uh, at the national championship, but this is not at Oklahoma State. I'm at Baylor at this time. And he's on the golf committee, so he's a rules official there, basically. And he, uh, the week before, I had popped a hamstring, so I couldn't walk. So, the tournament had decided to give me a cart at the national championship in 2017. And Mike Holder heard about that. And he's finding me he's gonna find me so he finds me on the team, and I'm one of my players is warming up before the first round and he says coach McGraw and I look back I say hey coach Holder." and he said uh hey a golf cart you're riding a golf cart are you kidding me <laughs> I said, well Mike you know I, I pulled a hamstring last week I can't walk and he looked at me he says how did it happen and I said well I was pushing one of my players push carts down a, a hill and i was running down the hill and he popped a hamstring. He said, "You're going to let a push cart incapacitate you? Said, <laughs> that that's pitiful. You are you you're a disaster." And I said, "Well, yeah, I get it." He says, "I can't believe you can't survive a push cart." And I said, "Well, Mike, I survived you, didn't
3: I?" <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> he, he had a, a wry smile on his face. And my player was looking like, did you just say that to him? And he goes, "He goes, well, M- Coach McGraw, you got a point there. You got a point. <laughs> so, I was just thinking of my part. I survived you, didn't I, Mike? Yeah. I think there's a lot of us who feel that way. That, uh, I don't know that any of us that were any, – any one of us that didn't have anything to do with Mike Holder are better human beings because of it. We, we barbecue him and we make some fun of him. But I don't know of one young man that didn't come out of Oklahoma State with Mike Holder as your coach is a better individual. Well, and I feel like the same thing in, in coaching. I mean, I, he made me a better coach for sure, and he gave me an opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise. So uh, every day wasn't perfect, but I sure appreciate everything he did for me.
1: Coach, thank you so much for joining us today. Before you get out of here, tell the people again how they can find your Better Than I Found It podcast
0: it's just on apple podcast just type in better than i found it um it's real easy i'm i'm not a podcast professional but i do have a streak going so if you just want to look at a streak like this is like uh what ted williams 56 games in a row hitting i mean i'm i'm on a streak.
1: good stuff good stuff and good luck to the baylor bears coming up in the spring coach hopefully we can talk again later in the season thanks a lot guys appreciate talking to you yes sir have a good Take care, day buddy coach you're the best